0: Um, You know, uh, today is Independence Day. It's 4th of July. Normally, I would do a sermon series or a a standalone sermon that would talk about not independence, but our complete dependence upon God. And it's kind of interesting that we're going to talk about today becoming like Christ, like Douglas talked about. We want to be more like Jesus And how that requires us to be more dependent upon him. And so we're in this sermon series. We're going to be in the book of Colossians chapter 3. You can go ahead and turn there. Get it out on on your iPhones, on your smartphones. If you guys have that U app version, I love that. It sends me Bible verses throughout the day and reminds me to take a break and read God's word and read my devotions. I love it. It's an awesome thing to do. But... um. We're talking about finding the good life, and it's about the way, truth, and the life. Uh, Doctor David Busick, one of our general superintendents, has written a book called "Way, Truth, and Life: Discipleship as a Journey of Grace." And uh, Pastor Jerry kind of introduced this, and he'll be back next week. And th- three weeks ago, he introduced this idea of discipleship as a journey of grace. Now, now, stick with me here for a minute, because when we hear the word discipleship, it's not a fun word. <laughs> Because we think of discipline and we think, oh man, if we're going to be disciples, there's a whole lot of lists and the do's and the don'ts. And and we got to, I think we need to turn away from that a little bit and turn towards this idea that discipleship is about God working his grace in and through us in our lives. Okay. And it is truly about the works of grace Um, That God has for us two weeks ago. I spoke about prevenient grace or I called it sneaky grace I love that don't you? God's sneaky grace. We don't understand You know before we understand who God is and what he's doing. He is seeking us out And we talked about that last week. I spoke about saving grace how we're all in the same boat it wasn't our fault that I'm in this boat, but I have a responsibility to deal with this idea of sin. And I hope that some point in time last week, you took a little bit of an inward inventory wherever you are on this journey, looking to find yourself. Where am I at in all of this? Remember, we talked about blind Bartimaeus sitting by the roadside, crying out. And we talked about Zacchaeus being up in the tree trying to get a look at Jesus. But they both needed saving grace to invade their lives. They were both in need of a Savior. They were in the same situation or in the same boat. Maybe you've experienced what it means to begin this journey of grace. Maybe you're looking for what's next. I mean, salvation isn't just to escape hell and death and the grave, although I would have to say that's pretty good reasons to be saved, right? (laughs) That's a pretty good reason to put your faith and your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, right? I mean, I'm thinking that is, but we're not just saved from something, but we're also saved to something, and that is to the benefit of others. We are saved and restored, which is our benefit, But then we're also commissioned to work alongside of Jesus in the kingdom, which is to the benefit of others which means we're saved to do something. So wherever it is you found yourself in this last week, I want you to know that Jesus is with us here today. And I want us to listen to him this morning, the word that he has. I prayed the Holy Spirit would have freedom to move on our hearts. And I want us to take just a moment, and as I'm speaking and we're getting ready, would you take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit, would you have freedom to move on my heart this morning? That he would do the deeper work within you to be changed. By the end of our time together because today I want to talk about something different. I want to talk about becoming like Christ and I want to talk about his sanctifying grace. It's the grace that God has for us and that the Holy Spirit does that deeper work within us. We are responsible we have a responsibility in this in that we consecrate which is just a big word saying completely turn our lives over past present and future life to Jesus consecrate we have a responsibility to consecrate our lives to him but it's the Holy Spirit who does the work who does the shaping who does the molding who does the transforming who does the changing it's the Holy Spirit who does all of these things And it's not just for us. I don't get saved so that I can come in here and sit on a pew and feel all nice and warm and fuzzy and know that I'm going to heaven. I am saved so that I can work alongside of Jesus in his kingdom. We want to enlarge God's kingdom. We want to bring others along. We want other people to experience this salvation. You know, I talked about this morning about how, you know, this is Independence Day. And really, truly, if we look at it, when we are fully dependent upon God, we experience what true, real independence is. Because that is independence from the boundaries, from belonging to, from the shackles of sin in our lives. I I bet we don't understand what it means So much to be bound up by sin Until we've experienced the independence from sin So let's read together colossians chapter 3 starting in verse 1 Since then you have been raised with christ Set your heart on things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god Set your minds on things above not on earthly things For you died and your life is now hidden with christ in god anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of the Creator. Here there is no Gentile, no Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. "'Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, "'clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. "'Bear with each other and forgive one another. "'If any of you have as a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. "'And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity.' Through Him, May God add to his word this morning, the word of God for the people of God. Can we all say together, thanks be to God. Amen? You know, many times in our lives we want to do the right thing. We do. I get up every morning wanting to do the right thing. I don't know anybody who gets up in the morning wanting to do the wrong thing. I know a lot of people who get up in the morning, they want to do the right thing, but then somehow... They end up putting their own desires first and that is how things tend to get kind of sidetracked and off you know it's it's like um, you know on Monday morning I want to get up and I want to pray and I want to read my Bible but you know what it's Monday it's not Sunday it's just Monday Ugh. why do I need to worry about that on Monday well because if your faith is just Sunday faith It's not going to get it done. You know what I'm talking about, right? Y'all have friends that are, I go to church on Sundays on Christmas and Easter, right? We know this, we get this. But that's not the kind of faith we're talking about. That's not what consecration is. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about God's sanctifying grace working in us and through us. Because there's a lot of work Christ wants to do that shapes us and molds us and changes us to be more like him. Remember, Jesus loves you right where you are. But he loves you enough to not leave you there. It's this gap between salvation, making Jesus Lord of our life, asking him to come into our heart, asking him to, to take control of our lives, asking him to do what it is that he needs to do. There's a gap between that and then what's called glorification, which is when we go to heaven, right? Now, I know that some people thought, especially in Church of the Nazarene, some people thought that sanctification... Was glorification, you know how I know that because I've heard the testimonies. I Was saved in 1945 I was sanctified in 1946 and I've never sinned since And Then I've watched their family members roll their eyes (sighs) They do one of these things which couldn't speak more louder than the words of if they got up and said oh really yes you have Okay we, we, have, we have confused this idea of sanctification with glorification, which is the end result of what? Of living a life that is the Jesus way. Living it according to the Jesus truth. Living life the way God designed human beings to live when he first created Adam and Eve before sin ever entered into the garden. That's what this whole thing is about. For many of us, we became Jesus' followers. Not yet disciples, but we became followers. We handed over the story of our life to Jesus for the sake of redemption. Jesus, here's my life in a book. The only thing is, is that as followers, we forgot. Jesus wants the pen He wants to continue writing the story. We oftentimes, as followers, keep the pen. You know, just because, well, I might want to write a chapter or two in here, right? We do that. The work in the gap between salvation and glorification means that we hand over that pen to Jesus and we let him script our story. We let him write every line that comes after that moment that we place our life in his hands and we begin to enter into a kind of relationship where we begin to take our cues from Jesus. You see, there's a difference between just simply saying Jesus is Lord of my life and actually making him lord of your life did you know that i can go out here and walk him down the street and ask people is jesus oh yeah jesus i know jesus i love jesus oh yep yeah, yep yeah, yep yeah. yeah what are you doing for him well you know i go to church on christmas and easter that's what i'm doing for him right we, we see this idea of we want to follow Christ, but, but we're not really a disciple. It's like Douglas said, if I want to be like Jesus, i got to do the things that Jesus did. We have to be moldable and shapeable. We have to not just let Jesus be the redeemer of our story, but we also have to let him be Lord of what comes next. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The first thing, I want you to write this down. If you've got pen and paper, I have a little notepad on my phone. I often type myself a little note in there. Original sin is real. I want you to think about this for a minute. Sin is like this twofold issue. Okay, there are sinful acts that we do. Okay, those things we feel guilty for. God puts a conscience in us. We feel guilty for those things. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But there's also this drive or desire I have to go do the things that I know I ought not be doing. You want to test this theory? Tell a three-year-old there's cookies in the cookie jar, but you can't have one till dinner. And then tell me what happens next. Because I guarantee you that three-year-old's going to look at them cookies, and if that three-year-old is anywhere worth their salt, they're going to find a way to go get a cookie before dinner because there's cookies in the cookie jar. Right? At three years old... Tell me, we do not have a propensity to do what we're told not to do. What did Adam and Eve do? God told them, go and subdue the earth. And we think about that word subdue. I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. It's not about conquering the earth. That was not what God was telling him to do. If you look at that word in its original languages, God said, go discover how I did this. God was telling them, go be scientists. Be biologists. Go figure out how I created this world that you're living in, this Garden of Eden. They literally had millions of things to do. And then he said, and you can eat from anything you want to eat except for the one tree. And what did Adam and Eve do? They ate from the one tree he told them not to eat from. And there's a whole bunch of stuff behind all that. But I'm telling you, this idea of original sin, that we are born with this desire, it's real. When we do something that rebels against God, we know we've done something wrong. But what is it that drives us to that? That's that part within us where there is a conscience The fall of Adam and Eve, the resulting consequences, you and I are born with the sense of right and wrong. It's what we call original sin in the church of the Nazarene. Remember, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't wait for God to come teach them. They took that opportunity from him to teach them, and they stole it from him. And they thought, knowing the difference between right and wrong is a good thing. God wants us to do that. We're going to do that on our own time, in our own way. And they disobeyed God. We're all born with this. It's not our fault but we're responsible to deal with it. And Paul says it like this in Romans chapter three, starting in verse 21, he says, but now apart from the law of righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Get this. Paul is saying that it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're part of the human race, you have fallen short of that original design. The image of God within us. Jesus said if we were going to fulfill that, we would do two things. We would love God and we would love others as we love ourselves, right? That's the fulfillment of the image of God. We would be in right relationship with God the Father and in right relationship with each other. And Paul is telling us that all those who come to Jesus Christ are therefore justified freely by his grace through that redemption. And that brings me to my next point. You need to write this down. Redemption is necessary, but it's not everything. How many times growing up, how many times have any of you guys here in your experience and your walk, we, we really talk about people converting to, to Christianity. We talk about conversions. We talk about being saved. Are you saved? We talk about these things. We, we push for people to accept Christ as their Savior. But how many times then do we just drop the ball and we don't disciple that new Christian? Scary question to ask, isn't it? It's a scary thing to think about for a moment. And I am a pastor, and I am thinking about and going over in my mind all the different times we think about that. We make redemption this really big, big thing. And then we don't do the what's next part. You see, salvation's not a ticket to be punched like we're on a train. It's not like we all get on the train, woo woo. we punch our ticket and we're there and we just ride it out. No other responsibility on our part, right? No, that's not what God's word says. Redemption is necessary, but it doesn't stop there. If we just stop there, that person, whoever they are, is just going to get into this cycle of sinning again and again and again and again because they haven't dealt with the rest of the issue. We no longer have to be slaves. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, Paul says, What should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace can increase? Doesn't that little thing, oh yeah, God's grace is big. It's greater than all my sins. We sing, you know, the song, grace, grace, God's grace, greater than all my sins, right? God's grace is more than sufficient for all my, everything I've done, everything I'm, No, Paul continues on. He says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with Him in death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified, and with Him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. What we're talking about here today is a difference between somebody who follows jesus and somebody who is a disciple of jesus think about that for a minute go back to john chapter 6 you don't believe me there were thousands of people following jesus and then he got into some tough things and then he got into some meddling into hearts right and then he got into some tough teachings and a lot of those who were just simply following him for free food and free health care turned away to the point that Jesus even looks at his own 12 disciples and says, so you going to leave me too. There is a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Right. That idea of knowing Jesus really has this idea of having an intimate relationship with him. Now, I may know a few of you people's names out here, but I don't have an intimate relationship with a lot of you because we've been separated by COVID since about the second month I've been here. <laughs> so I might know you by your face. I might even know you if you're wearing a mask. Run into a to a, a person um, a couple weeks ago and... We were at the grocery store, and, and they had a mask on, and I told Bobby, I said, I know that person. I said hi to that person as I walked around the corner. Hi to that person. I didn't have a mask on. They had said hi back, and I didn't think much about it, but it just kept bugging me in the back of my head. I know who that person is. I know them. Pretty soon, we come down an aisle, and there they are with their mask off, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I thought I recognized your hair and your eyes and that mask. Right? I don't know a lot of you very well because we've been separated by this COVID thing. I might know of you, but I don't know you. That's the difference between follower and a disciple. The follower may have asked Jesus to be Lord of their life. They probably know a lot about Jesus, but they don't know him and they haven't died to sin yet. The disciple, not only do they know about Jesus... But they know him intimately, and he knows them intimately, and, and they have died to sin. In other words, they've said, you know what? I want to be more like Jesus. I'm surrendering my life to him. And that brings me to the last thing that I want you to write down, because this is really about lordship. Who are you going to make be lord of your life? think about that for a minute is it me or god it's that simple it really truly honestly is it's that simple who is going to run this life who is going to determine the trajectory of my journey is it going to be me or is it going to be god when we become disciples of jesus when we stop become we got to stop with this being fans okay we got to stop with this just being a follower And being part of the crowd. And we've got to get into this being a disciple thing. Not just that we know about Jesus. Not that we try to do this on our own. But we've got to become a disciple. Completely handing over our life to Christ. Being enabled by God's sanctifying grace through the Holy Spirit to seek him more. You see, we don't seek out God. He seeks out us. And the only way that we draw closer to him, the only way we seek him more is as he enables us to. Do we get that? Do we understand that? The Bible tells me that I don't take a breath in or out that God doesn't cause that to happen. Amen. Guess what? There is a God-shaped hole in your spirit, in your soul, in that part of you that none of us can see, but that part that is truly the center of your being, there is a God-shaped hole in you. And it's only because he draws us. And it's only because he desires to be with each and every one of us. It's only because he reaches out that we are able to draw closer to him. God puts within us that desire to obey him, that desire to live faithfully within his will. The Holy Spirit empowers the disciples of Jesus to put on the new self. So that image of God begins to be restored within us. That's part of why I kind of have this pet peeve. I don't know. You guys have pet peeves? I have a pet peeve. When somebody, they make a mistake and they say, well, I'm just human. I want to just grab them. And I just want to say, but do you know what it means to be fully human the way God designed us to be when He first created Adam and Eve? Oh, it is so much free from just saying it like some excuse, like, well, I messed up, I'm just human. No, 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 no. God put within us His image. When God created all the animals, you know, and the fish and the birds, And the trees, and the grass, and the earth, and the seas, and all that stuff, and the sun, and the moon. When he did all that, he he did, you know, I, I don't understand exactly how it all happened. But the Bible tells me when he came to create Adam, he did something different. And then he breathed within us this special breath of life. That was different from the one that he breathed into the lions and the tigers and the bears and and the cats and the dogs and the fish and all that stuff. He breathed, there's something different about you and I. And it's that image of God that we have within us. Oh, it's fractured. Don't get me wrong, it's fractured, it's distorted. Sin has come into this world and has just kind of changed it and made it into something it shouldn't be. But you know what? The work of the Holy Spirit, when I give my life to him completely, every nook, every cranny, every bit of my being to him. He begins to repair that image within me. And I begin to learn how to live in loving God and loving others as I love myself. And that image begins to be restored and I begin to understand what it means to be independent from the bondage of sin. I didn't realize how much bondage sin had over me. How much control sin had over me until I experienced this freedom of walking in His way and in His truth and living the Jesus life. It's amazing the freedom we have. Ephesians chapter. 4, uh, and, and I'll end with this scripture and probably a few more things to say, but we'll end with this scripture. Chapter 4, starting in verse 17, this is Paul telling the church in Ephesus. He says, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. I don't know if you notice this, but when Paul's talking to the churches in in Corinth and in Ephesus and in Galatia and, and Philippi, when he's writing these letters to them, do you notice he's talking to them as if they have a level of responsibility in this. It's not just that God does the work in their heart, but they have a responsibility to be conscious of the things that they ought not to be doing, and they need to turn away from them on purpose. Do you ever get that? Man, I read that and I hear Paul telling us this, you know, don't do this, and do this, but do this and do this and get rid of that and get rid of this. But the whole thing of it is, is that God's salvation saves us from the power of canceled sin. It saves us from the pit of hell, death in the grave, but it also saves us to something. The only thing is we can't do that something if we are not fully committed to Christ. It's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've watched the devotions this week, you know I've been talking about sanctification this week. And there are are moments in my life where I can go, God's sanctifying grace hit me like a two by four and smacked me right upside the head here in my life. Right? But it didn't stop there. It didn't end there. It's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. It's The ongoing sanctification, it's God's work so that we can go and do in his kingdom, whatever it is. You see, sinlessness cannot be the complete goal of God's sanctifying grace. You know why? Because nothing can be defined by what it's not. Sanctification cannot be defined by its Sinlessness. Holiness cannot be defined by the absence of sin. Holiness has to be defined by what it is. Jesus defined holiness by the fruit of loving God and loving each other. That evidence of loving God with all of our muchness. I'll say it. You see, when Jesus was asked about the two commandments, he said, what's the most important commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, which is in Deuteronomy. And then he added a fourth word, your strength, which is actually the same word for mind. But the way that it's used, it really means all of your muchness. It's not talking about physical strength, right? We can go over here to Gold's Gym. We can see who can lift up the most weights, right? We can do that, right? We can see physical strength. But they're talking about what other strengths do you have, What other talents do you have? What gifts do you have? What resources do you have? It's all of your muchness. And then love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's as important as the first one. All of the law and the prophets are summed up in these two commands. And then the smarty pants lawyer, well, he was a Pharisee, but basically he was a lawyer. Okay, the smarty pants lawyer said, well, then who is my neighbor? That's when Jesus got really rude and said, well, it's the good Samaritan. I don't think we really understand how much a slap in the face that parable was to that Pharisee that day when Jesus said, well, it's the good Samaritan. Because he kind of threw it back at him at the end of the story. You don't believe me? Go read the account. At the end of the story, he says, which one of those three was more like a neighbor to the man who was beaten and left on the side of the road to die? And the Pharisee couldn't argue with it. It was the good Samaritan. This idea of sinlessness, this idea of sanctification, a friend of mine um, wrote, and I I love reading her books and things, and and I've I've met her several times, and and, um, she kind of gets on my case because, you know, I think of her as a theologian, you know, a real theologian, and I call myself, you know, just the armchair theologian, you know, because I don't have a degree in theology, right, and I'm not teaching theology and everything. But we got this idea in our brains that we hit sanctification, and she says it like this, and I love it. I love it. I will use this till the day I die. And then we have this little red button up under our rib that pops out, kind of like the Thanksgiving turkey, and we're done. That couldn't be further from the truth because we're not turkeys, right? Sanctification doesn't mean we're done. Salvation is is the beginning. It's the gate. We open the gate. We start going out and we get on this journey. Sanctification is that ongoing work that the Holy Spirit does between the time that I am saved and the time that I go be with Jesus. It is a journey. It is a process. It is a long time. And I may be able to point to some specific events. I can remember being on a platform at Wenatchee Church of the Nazarene and thinking to myself, God, I am so glad I have made it a point to follow you and not been like so-and-so that I know and not been like this person over here that I know. They're off just living like terrible, terrible things and doing drugs and, and having sex with everybody all over the place and everything. I'm so glad that I am not like them and that I just did this and, and here we are singing. A, I'm singing a song in a quartet and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit smacks me upside the head. Dan, you did that, and you're living this life because I put so-and-so in your life, and I planted a seed here, and I planted a seed there, and I did this in your life. What did you do? You couldn't make any of that grow. I can remember another time in my life where, you know, Bobby and I, we had both run away from God, and... uh, after we had come back to the Lord, we had, we had three little kids and, and again at the Wenatchee Church and then up at, at Sandpoint and then over in Moscow area. And I remember, I remember, I began to lead worship in the youth group and I thought, you know, I, I know I was supposed to be a pastor. God told me that when I was about 10 years old. I went down to the altar at, camp, at summer camp and I knew that's what God was calling me to do. But I blew it. So now I'm just going to be the best layperson that the church can have. I'll volunteer to do everything. We'll be there on the work days. You know, I'll, I'll lead worship for the teens. Uh, I'll be with the junior high kids. We'll teach junior high Sunday school class. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll be in the children's department. We will live at the church. But, you know, I just kind of blew it. And I can remember the very day the pastor's wife said to me, Dan, has anybody ever asked you or talked to you about becoming a pastor? And I said, nope. (laughs) Can I say that we call the Holy Spirit sometimes the Holy Ghost? I think because he haunts us. Because there were weeks and weeks that I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't function. Because all I heard was my pastor's wife asking me, has anybody ever said anything to you that maybe you ought to think about? You ever think about being a pastor? And then I just hear this, no, 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 no. And I can remember it was like 1130 at night or quarter to 12 at night. And I'm not sleeping and I'm just laying there. And finally, I just like, okay, I've got to tell somebody, hey, Bobby, you awake? Hey, Bobby, I'm awake now. What's up? I got to confess something to you. And I tell her this, and I tell her, I say, and I just break down, and I can, I can remember telling her succinctly, you married me without knowing this. But God has called me to be a pastor, and he's not letting me go. And you know, as as a pastor, I have to tell you that my wife is really in tune with God, and she always kind of has been. And I don't know what it is with pastor's wives. They're just a special breed okay? Pastors' husbands, you know, for for our women who are in ministry, their husbands are a special breed because they often answer like this. This was Bobby's answer. She says, oh honey, I've known for about two months. Would you please go to sleep? that was god's sanctifying grace that was this moment where it was like this confirmation from the holy spirit and all of a sudden i was like oh my goodness and and then began this journey and god's growth that he did in me and through me that's sanctification becoming more like jesus each and every day it doesn't end until we end right? Until we go be with Jesus. That's when it ends. I can remember all these different events in my life, but the growth in God's grace continues on in between these different moments, these different calls, these different um, times when God's Holy Spirit intersects my life in such a way. I get it. I can understand why we want to camp there, but that's not the end. That's truly not the end. It's just one of the moments in our lives that as God begins to do that deeper work within us, then he is able to do that work through us for those around us. And that's what this whole thing, this journey of grace, is about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for this time together, Lord. As your family... And Father God, it's grace upon grace upon grace that I have experienced in my life. But that's the design you have. That's the plan you have. Father God, I can think of a hundred different ways this message of the gospel could go out more efficiently. But you have chosen to work in and through your people. And so, Father God, that's what we desire. For you to do that deeper work within each and every one of us, Lord God. So that we can work in your kingdom alongside of you. Do that deeper work in us so that you can work through us. Lord God, as we leave here today, we we celebrate the independence of our country. But Lord God, really in our heart of hearts, we celebrate the independence from the bondage of sin. The true independence is that no matter what happens, whether our country is overthrown tomorrow, the independence from sin in my life has been delivered to me through your death and resurrection, Jesus. That's the independence I want to celebrate every day. But I can only do that if you work in me and through me. So, Father God, here we are. Guide us, direct us, change us from the inside out, mold us and shape us and make us into the men and women of God. You need for us to be so that we can answer your call. So that we can go, and everywhere that we go, we can make more disciples. Not fans, not followers, but disciples. Lord God, help us to make more disciple-makers. Do that work in us so that you can work through us to accomplish what you need accomplished in your kingdom. Here in Tri-Cities here in Richland, here in Kennewick, here in Pasco, and all the different areas that we have family in. Lord God, work in us so that you can work through us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.